Reading this morning from Philippians 4, 8 through 14. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet... It was good of you to share in my troubles. Well, as most of you know, in March, I injured my knee, tore my ACL, had meniscus damage. I did a sumo wrestling. That's true. (laughs) I've since retired from the sport. I don't think I'm really, you know, too qualified for that. Um, So in April, I had to have surgery, and uh, they had to go in, and they had to take out the old ACL, put in a new one. They had to sew up some meniscus. They did had to cut through nerves, cut through a variety of places. So as a result, my knee was left weakened, the muscles weak. And so the question is, how can I ever do the things I'd like to do again? cross-country ski, backpack, go on some vigorous hikes, play tennis, those kinds of things. Well, the answer to that is physical therapy, right? (laughs) You have to work at it. You have to do the certain things to rehab the knee. Otherwise, it will always be weak, and you'll be unable to do the things I'd like to do, in particular hiking up and down over uneven ground and all those things I could never do unless I do what it takes to strengthen my knee. Similarly, in a spiritual sense, we are all, every one of us in this room, is broken by sin. We're damaged and weakened by living in a world that's corrupt and fallen. And naturally, we are unable to really handle the ups and downs of life, the difficulties of circumstances. So the question is, how do we do spiritual therapy? How do we rehab our souls so that we can be strong enough to handle the things that come in life that are unavoidable? Because this life is full of corruption and fallenness and difficulty and pain. This world throws at us rocky paths and steep hills and cliffs along the way. What will help us rehab our souls? Well, Paul is nearing the end of the book of Philippians now. 
And at the end here, he wants to help the Philippians find the strength they need to be able to handle the journey of life. So he gives them three things to focus on to be able to handle life's ups and downs. And it strikes me that these are the exact same things that we all need. (laughs) They really are spiritual therapy. They are the things that will help us be strong enough spiritually to handle whatever life throws our way. So pray with me and we'll look at this passage together. Lord, we admit we are weak. We do need to be strengthened spiritually, and we don't always know exactly how that process works. So thank you for this passage, Lord. May you use it by the power of your spirit to help us see where we need to be strengthened and to begin to act in a way that will cause us to be the saints you want us to be, strong for the ups and downs of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we gain that strength? How do we do spiritual therapy? Well, first thing he says is think good things. Paul begins with what you think about. Verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let your mind dwell on these things. Focus on these things. See, physical strength, we'll talk about spiritual strength in a moment, but physical strength, to carry out that analogy, begins in the mind. If I'm going to do physical therapy, I have to convince myself that it's good to get up early in the morning and go do these exercises, go to physical therapy, go to the gym, work out. If I don't mentally commit to doing that, then I won't be able to do it. A friend here, Gene Peterson, decided in the last year or so that this summer, beginning May 11th, he and a couple friends would bike from Boise to Anchorage, Alaska. Now, Gene had not biked very much. I saw him a week ahead of time, and I said, are you training hard? He said, no. (laughs) We're just going to jump on the bikes and go for it. Well, he got back after two and a half months. He made it. And I talked to him about the process. He was telling us, a group of us got together to watch pictures and hear about it, and And it was very interesting. He said, to do it, I realized the most important thing was not my physical conditioning, though that improved over time. (laughs) But he said it was my mental state. It was all about how I thought about the journey. He talked about riding his bike up Whitebird Hill. And if you've driven north, you know Whitebird is a long hill. But he said, actually, Whitebird Hill, though it was the longest hill we faced in the whole trip, It really wasn't that hard because I'd driven it before. And he said, I knew there was an end to it. And so I could take it a bit at a time and get to the top. He said it was much harder when I was in Canada and there were hills that weren't as tall, but I didn't know that. And I started up them and I began to get more and more discouraged because I didn't know if I could make it because I didn't know how far it went. You see... The key to physical therapy or physical activity is 
begins in the mind, but it's also true spiritually. It all begins in the mind, Paul says. It all depends on what you're choosing to focus on. If you choose to focus on worldly values and perspectives, you will be spiritually flabby and weak. Garbage in, garbage out, right? And too many Christians have tended to think just like the world around us. The commentator Kent Hughes says this, Suffice it to say that contemporary media overwhelmingly presents the opposite of Philippians 4.8, as they have become increasingly eroticized, violent, and intolerant of Jesus Christ. And given that there is virtually no distinction, now get this, this is very interesting, Given that there is virtually no distinction between the viewing habits of Christian and non-Christians, the minds of countless Christians have become increasingly eroticized and blasphemous, which is to say, sub-Christian. Today, more than ever before, we need to heed the psalmist's advice. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Psalm 101. So Paul exhorts us, if you're going to be spiritually strong, you've got to focus on what is good. And he gives us a whole list. So what does it mean to think on these things? Well, if you look at this list carefully, you begin to see something. And that is, it's not a biblical list. It's not words that are used very often in the scriptures at all. He He's not focusing on just the scriptures. Now, what is he really getting at then? Why is he giving us this particular list? Well, theologians tell us that God reveals himself in a couple of ways. There's special revelation and there's general revelation. Special revelation where God intervenes in this world and communicates himself to us. He's given us the word of God, right? That's special revelation directly from God. He's also sent Jesus, his son, who is the exact likeness of God. Jesus said, if you want, if you know me, you know the father. He's the exact representation of the father. So that's special revelation. We've been given that and we need to meditate on the scriptures. We need to think about who Jesus is. Because God has communicated himself through those things. That's thinking good things, right? But I think Paul also has in mind general revelation. General revelation, what is that? Well, general revelation is that God reveals himself and his truth and his beauty in the world around us. So Paul uses terms that Actually, these terms were used in the Greek and Roman world to talk about the ideals of virtue and goodness and purity and all those things in the world around us. The world was created good, wasn't it? And mankind, men and women, we were all created in the image of God. And though sin has horribly twisted creation and horribly twisted us, Yet the image of God still resides in every human being in some form. And the creation is still there. It's still his fingerprints are still on creation. The dust of his feet is visible in creation. The shadow of his movement is visible. The evidence of his working, if you just open your eyes to see it. 
Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. You see, God reveals Himself through general revelation through creation. I'm going to show you a photo from the eclipse. Now, this is somewhat doctored, right? But I think it makes a very important point. The eclipse is incredibly beautiful. It it was powerful. And it was moving. But if we think about God's the evidence of God in the eclipse, and our eyes just get opened in broader ways. You begin to see amazing things. It's interesting. I listened to uh, a tape of Sarah Jessica Parker, the actress. Now, as far as I know, she doesn't claim to be a Christian. <laughs> okay? But very interesting, as she watched the eclipse, she said, this is the most spectacular thing. And then she said... It doesn't make any sense to someone who doesn't know Jesus, right? To us, it makes sense that God is in this. And then at the end, she said something very interesting. She said, oh, this is so humbling. Amen. See, we have eyes to see that God is behind it, that the eclipse was totally God's hand at work. Scientists know today that in this century, there will be 224 eclipses. Some partial, some annular, which means the moon does far enough, is too close, sun's too far away, or whatever, that it doesn't completely block it. Air, total eclipses. But on Earth, there will be 224 this century. How in the world can we know that? It's because God has created the world so perfectly and causes it to move, that we can observe it and know exactly what's going to happen with those eclipses. To me, it reveals the glory of God. In the vastness of the universe, we see the glory of God, the incredible hand of God, that He's infinite. We could go on and on. The flowers of this world, think about the incredible variety and intricacy and beauty of flowers that move our hearts and souls as we look at them. What does that teach us about God? If you look for the hand of God, you realize, wow, God loves creativity. He loves beauty. He loves to delight our hearts. There's so much we learn about God if we open our eyes and look for his hand. In the animal kingdom, there is incredible balance and complexity. We learn from that that God is creative and he's balanced and he's complex. Augustine said, all truth is God's truth. What's he saying is that there is truth out there, and if you have eyes to see it, you realize, yes, especially in the Scriptures, yes, especially in Jesus, but also in the world around us, if you have eyes to look for the fingerprints of God, for His hand. And so Paul says, think about these things. In the movie Frozen, the animated movie, Elsa has been very cruel to her sister and at one point thinks she's actually killed her in her anger. Elsa is about to be slain and suddenly Anna comes out of nowhere, gets between her and her slayer and 
saves her sister's life, sacrifices herself for her sister. Anna ends up being okay, though, and, but Elsa says, you sacrificed yourself for me. Now tell me, where did they get that plot theme? The hand of God, right? In the animated movie Moana. You can tell I have grandkids, right? <laughs> the evil person in the movie ends up being redeemed. Becomes good. Where'd they get that idea? God loves to bring redemption to broken, evil lives. Les Miserables is one of my favorite theater productions. It certainly is my favorite. And it very clearly talks about grace and God's forgiveness and how that can transform our lives. But almost everything, you can see the hand of God if you'll just open your eyes. And Paul says, think about these things. It will make you stronger spiritually when you look for the hand of God in general revelation and in special revelation. It will make you stronger. It's true, not just out there, though, but also in people. Because every person is made in the image of God. Yes, there are truly evil people in the world. And I will say I have met some that I could not see a redeeming quality, but they're very few and far between. We're pretty much all just a mixture. That every person has the visible image of God in them in some way. The key is to always be looking for the hand of God. Maybe it's kindness. Maybe it's creativity. Maybe it's intelligence. Maybe it's humility. Maybe whatever it is, but the image of God is in them. I've made some Muslim friends. I've made some LGBT friends. And it strikes me that I've learned some things about God from them through their tenderness, through their compassion. They're honorable. They're just. They're worthy of praise. You see, if we just open our eyes and think these things, when we sit and take in the same garbage the world is taking in and don't think about what's good, then we will be spiritually flabby and weak. But if you want to be spiritually strong, then Paul says, think good things. Think about the scriptures. Think about Jesus, but also look for the hand of God in life. Look for what's noble. Look for what's worthy of praise. Look for what's excellent. Look for what's pure. And you will get stronger spiritually. So spiritual strength comes first from what you think. Are you thinking about these things? But secondly, Paul says strength can't end there. You have to not only think certain things, but you have to do good things. <laughs> do good things. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, wherever you've learned truth from me, in what I've taught, in what I've said, in my life, what I've modeled, and I think he would say, and others as well, others, brothers and sisters in Christ, do those things. Do them. Obey. Step out. Choose to engage your will to obey the truth you know. 
When I finished physical therapy, I was given a whole list of exercises to do if I was going to really get strong. And it's a wonderful list, and I can carry it around in my pocket. I can sleep with it under my pillow at night. But guess what? That won't make me strong. I have to do what it says. And there's something about us simply engaging our wills to do the very next thing that God's called us to do, to step out and do that. Without doing that, I won't get stronger. So many Christians, I think, are spiritually weak because we know a lot. But we don't simply do half of what we know we should do. Now, I love our church and how we focus on studying the word and women's Bible studies and men's studies and all that. But, you know, all of us know it's on our spiritual therapy list we've been given that we should read the word of God regularly and pray. But statistics show that a lot of Christians don't do that regularly. Well, if that's the case in your life, you will be spiritually flabby and you will not be able to handle what God throws your way in this world. Strength in life comes from doing, obeying the truth we know. Has God laid a neighbor, a coworker on your heart that he wants you to reach out to? Well, then do it. Stop making excuses and just do it. George MacDonald, the author, says this. Had he done, describing one of his characters in one of his books, had he done as the master told him, he would soon have come to understand. Obedience is the opener of the eyes. You want to understand reality? It begins by just doing, not by sitting and figuring it all out but by doing the next thing that God gives you to do. He goes on to say, To him who obeys and thus opens the door of his heart to receive the eternal gift, God gives the spirit of his son, the spirit of himself, to be in him and lead him to the understanding of all truth. The true disciple shall always shall thus always know what he ought to do, though not necessarily what another ought to do. <laughs> but his point is that If you want to grow spiritually, you simply have to do the next thing that God has asked you to do, whether it's give up a selfish habit, whatever it might be. Just do the next thing and you'll get stronger and wiser. So Paul says, do. I learned a really harsh lesson about this a few years back. My last church in Lake Tahoe, I... Some 25 years ago, I counseled a woman there who was really struggling. And so I continued the counseling after I moved here and became part of the staff here at Cole. Once a month, I would talk to Judy on the phone. We would have a counseling appointment Thursdays at noon. And we would talk and counsel together, and we had it set, a set time. Well, one time she called me on Monday and left a message. I wasn't available at the time, but she asked me to call. And I thought, well, our appointment is this week. It's on Thursday. So I don't know, but I, I sense maybe I should call. And, and as the week built up, you know, but I was busy. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to call. You know, I got so I'm going to talk to her Thursday. Thursday morning, I got up and I thought, man, I just feel like I should call her. But I didn't. 
Our appointment was at noon at 11.30. I got a phone call from her husband. She'd committed suicide that morning. Now, I, I can't take full responsibility for that, but I do take some responsibility. I don't know if I would have talked her out of it, okay? I don't know. But it was a good lesson for me to think, you know, when the Lord prompts us to do something, he wants to use us to do something good in this world, and so we need to do good things. Whatever God has laid on your heart, whatever you know is right to do, take the step to just begin and do. And you will get spiritually stronger as you choose to do it. But now Paul goes on to tell us where real strength comes from. It's yes, thinking good things, doing good things, but ultimately real strength comes from depending on Jesus. Depending on Jesus. Now, this is a familiar passage to us as it talks about Paul saying, I'm not speaking from need. I've learned in whatever circumstances I am, I am in to be content. Verse 11. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, we know this is a wonderful passage about contentment, right? Only let me say, I don't think this passage is about contentment. (laughs) I think we've been kind of misunderstanding this passage for a long time. I think it's about dependence on God for the strength to handle whatever comes your way, not just learning to endure or being content with whatever comes your way, but actually having the strength to handle the ups and downs of life. In the end, these are similar, but I think there's an important distinction here that we need to see. Contentment is a good thing. We are called to be content. We are called to have thankful hearts. That's more the biblical calling is that we would be thankful, rejoice in the Lord in any and every circumstance. So what is he saying? Why, why do I think that contentment is not the main point of this passage? Well, Several reasons. Let me let me just say the only place that the word content happens in this passage is in verse 11. And the translators had an option here because the root of this word, this this particular form only occurs here in in the Bible. So they had to try to figure out what it means. And the root of this word works. It means two different things in different passages. Some passages, the root is talking about contentment. But in a number of passages, it talks about being sufficient, being adequate, having the resources, the strength you need to handle whatever comes your way. So the translators have made a decision that content should be the translation. But I think the only way you can tell which of those it should be is by context. And if you read this carefully, it's really all about not just having an attitude of contentment. It's about doing. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And in fact, literally in the Greek, it's I am strong for all things in the one who strengthens me. And notice it's it's all about being able to handle the ups and downs of life, having the strength to be able to deal 
with life. That's the context here. So I think that's what it's about. It's about how do we have what we need, the resources we need, the strength we need to handle whatever comes our way. Paul is saying, as I've walked through a crazy life with all its ups and downs, I've learned a secret, he says, a secret that helps me through whatever I might be facing, whether I'm hungry or full, whether I have a lot. And by the way, I think having a lot is a much bigger trial and much more difficult for us as Christians, especially in America, than having a little. Because to really trust God and walk with him and depend on him when you have a lot is really hard for us. Scripture makes that really clear. But Paul has learned the secret of having a lot and having a little. Whether he's in great need or not. He, He says, I've learned that. Now, most all of us, maybe all of us in this room, learned to ride a bicycle at one point in our lives, right? But when we first started, we didn't know how to do it. And we fell and we struggled and we had to learn balance. But after a while, we learned it and it became natural for us. Paul says we need to learn that secret, learn the secret of depending on Jesus, finding him to be our strength. And that's the secret. That's the secret of the Christian life. In fact, that's the secret of the whole Christian life for all of us is that we might learn to find our strength in him. Because if we find our strength in him, we'll be able to handle the ups and downs of life. Notice it says, I can do all things, my translation, through him who strengthens me. What does all mean in this verse? I think it's important to clarify this. Does it mean, oh, if I can do all things through him who strengthens me, then I can jump off the cliff and I'll be able to fly. Because I can do all things, right? Well, clearly, that's not what he means. The word all here is limited by the context, and the context is all about facing the circumstances of life. He's saying no matter what circumstances we face, no matter how hard it gets, whether we're facing cancer or relational difficulty, a marriage that's falling apart, financial difficulty, physical difficulty, whatever it might be, I can do it all in his strength. That's the secret to depend on him. The trials, the ups and downs, and the craziness of life in this world. You see, the secret he's talking about is what the Bible calls the new covenant. Christ in you, Paul says, the hope of glory. It's his life in us that we are learning to depend on and find strength in him. Jesus describes it a number of ways. One of the ways he describes it is in John 15, where he talks about the vine and the branches. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. Plug into me. Keep my life flowing back and forth into you. Depend on me. Because apart from me, Jesus says in that passage, you can do nothing. Through the Holy Spirit, I have Christ's life and power in me. So strength comes not from me, but from me depending on him. Second Corinthians, Paul puts it this way. He puts it very clearly, I think. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse five and six, where he says this. Not that we are sufficient or adequate in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God 
who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You see, the strength for living comes as we learn to depend on the life of Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, as we learn to plug into him. So how do we do that? How do we actually plug into him? Well, Paul says he learned the secret by going through hard things and coming to the end of himself and having to say, Lord, I don't have what it takes. You're going to have to get me through this. And he learned to depend on Christ through the ups and downs of life so that he learned to do what we all need to come to is, Lord, I don't have it, what it takes to handle this. I don't have what it takes to handle this new trial. But you do love through me, Lord. Give me your strength. I'm relying on your life and your strength in me. You see, when we pray that prayer and ask for his life and his strength in us, that is a prayer that Jesus loves to answer. The mystery, the secret of the Christian life is that we might depend on his life in us. Yeah, we don't have what it takes. But he does. He's always just waiting right off stage, waiting for us to call on him, to depend on him, to cling to him. I find this all the time in counseling. I I can be exhausted. I can be struggling, but I'll say, Lord, wow, I, I don't have what it takes. You need to love this person through me. I need your wisdom, Lord. I don't know what to do here. And I find that he comes through. He provides. He he wants to be our life and our strength. And it breaks his heart when we ignore him and just try to handle life on our own. Because, see, we were never made for that. We were always made to stay plugged in to him. Brothers and sisters, every one of us in this room have been damaged, hurt, injured by sin in us and around us. So how can we find the strength to handle the ups and downs and the uneven terrain and the rocks and all the things we have to face in life? Paul tells us, think, think good things. Keep your mind on good things. Look for the hand of God in life. Secondly, do you got to do what he's called you to do. Just step out. The next thing, do it that you know God wants you to do. Obey what he's told you. And third, and perhaps most important, depend. Learn the secret of going to Jesus, depending on him. Go to him for strength, for his power, his compassion, his love in everything you face in life. And what will happen? You'll get stronger. And you'll be able to handle the things that he throws that come our way. So that you can, with Paul, say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this wonderful passage that helps us understand what it means to live life with your strength. For each one of us, Lord, may you help us repent of the things maybe we're not thinking the right things or doing what we're called to do or depending. But may we, Lord, more and more get stronger in you so that we can be a light for you in the darkness and that in this world people might see you living through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.